Cities are dynamic places, full of contrast. Young people, old people, those who are new to the community and those who have been there for generations. Those who want things to stay the same and those who want change. How does a city, whether for branding or planning projects, ever build consensus among such a diverse community? Diversity is what makes our cities great. So how do we embrace that contrast to create something that is better together? That's what we'll be talking about on today's episode of Eyes on the Street. You're listening to Eyes on the Street, a civic brand podcast. Conversations on community branding, engagement, and marketing. Today's episode is brought to you by Parking, derailing public meetings since 1908. You know, some people want to paint the past, some people want to um, create a new future, some people want to be dynamic, some people want to uh, preservationist. Uh, how do you find a, 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 a mental configuration where when you say it to somebody, they go, yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. How did you know what I was thinking? And that's, you know, that's the challenge, that's the test of any branding exercise is to not come close, but to nail it. That's Mayor Alan Weber, the 43rd mayor of Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had the privilege of sitting down with Mayor Weber and talking about city branding, yeah, and contrast, that's and public engagement. thread that we've heard is that, that duality of the importance of the history and the culture and the past, but also the importance of progressing and moving forward and, and remaining you know relevant and how do you do both of those things without one offending the other or one stalling the other um uh-huh. you know and we've heard a lot too even just not even thinking about like progressing but just looking back at santa fe's history you know one thing that kind of stood out was the idea of contrast and kind of embracing contrast and almost embracing conflict has kind of been a um a cultural element of, of Santa Fe, you know, with the different cultures coming together and, and how beautiful things came out of that? I'm, uh, I'm, rec- I'm reading a book uh, at the moment called The Geography of Genius, and it highlights a bunch of cities around the world in different historic eras that turned out to be places where geniuses, or that there was a genius, a spirit of creativity. Mm-hmm. currently reading about Edinburgh, and... Uh, one of the things that the author says about, he, he, the author's trying to answer the question, why would Edinburgh or why would Athens under Pericles or why would uh, Florence, you know, why would they become places where the spirit of creativity flourishes in a particular moment for a particular period of time? And to your point, he says about Edinburgh that it was a place where the, um, the, the uh, opposites coexisted. You know, they were um, they were pragmatic as Scots are, but they were and at the same time they were creative. Mm-hmm. So they were they were able to combine what many people would think would be two opposing attributes into a single uh, creative spark. I think that's true across a number of things. That idea of you know balance and contrast and. Um and conflict often lead to kind of a greater outcome than just going hard left yeah. or hard right. So. It's it's the creative tension that happens when things that appear to be uh, opposites end up being, you know, in, somehow able to support each other. And, that, and frankly, it also, 
as far as language goes, um, it, it makes it, it connects with it, it opens up a different uh, synapse in people's minds. I think. Are there other communities that you see as? you know, good benchmarks to look at of, you know, they've gone through a similar process, either they did it right or maybe they did it wrong? Uh, you know, 40-something years ago, I worked in the mayor's office in Portland, Oregon, and it was, could Portland adapt to change in a way that preserved the livability values of the community? Uh, Portland was at a tipping point, and... Um, in the early 70s underwent, not just Portland, but all of Oregon went through a very uh, intensive uh, planning and development uh, program. Uh, and the focus was very clear. I mean, they had, there was a, they talk about a North Star. The North Star was uh, how to be the most livable state, little, most livable city in America. So livability, whatever, how you measure that, was the spouse goal. There was a perceived threat, which is always helpful in terms of rallying people, that uh, the city and the state's livability was at risk due to uh, proliferating freeways, uh, air pollution, sprawl, um, and a whole set of environmental and uh, urban planning uh, issues. And so if you go back to the 1970s, I think Oregon and Portland uh, you know, did a terrific job of uh, developing a strategy for statewide land use planning, uh, cleaning up the Willamette River, uh, with not building freeways that had been put on the map by Robert Moses back in the late, you know, the early fifties, and instead investing in light rail and neighborhoods. And 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 there was, by the way, there was a, a in community engagement piece because the. City went so far as to create an office of neighborhood associations, so that all the different neighborhood associations in the city could be recognized and uh, worked with on a constructive basis rather than purely on a reactive basis. Was the in in the Portland case? What was the impetus of that? Was that like more of a top down, like leadership was recognizing kind of the sprawl and challenges and the threats, and they kind of handed that down or did that kind of come up as from hey this is a thing that this everybody's recognizing and we we collectively want to change it so government should do something about it uh both there was a there was a statewide movement around environmentalism and sustainability it uh ended up electing uh governor mccall uh as the governor who was very much driven by uh things like uh Beaches for the people, and uh, the first uh, um, bottle bill came out of Oregon. Uh, statewide land, Oregon and Hawaii are still the only states I think to have statewide land use planning. And then the folks in Portland elected a mayor uh, who was very much part of the neighborhood grassroots. Uh, let's, well, it, you know, it, it, it was that great dichotomy. How do we preserve what we love? about the city while creating a better future for the city. So it was that, you know, we love what we, we love what we have, but if we just keep doing what we've always been doing, we're gonna lose what we have. How do we, how do we preserve and protect things that are precious while embracing the need to make changes so we can have a better future? 
And do you think that's very true for Santa Fe now, the idea of we love what we have, but if we keep just business as usual, we'll, we won't have those opportunities? Absolutely. Maybe, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's an old, there's a story I told on the campaign trail about a uh, Western film like um, The Magnificent Seven. There was a, it's a, it's a story, so take it with a grain of salt. But according to this story, this movie, there was a town that was under attack by the bad guys, and they sent for a new share, or, you know, a hired gun, and the hired gun came to see them and did a survey of the community and came back to the uh, town leaders and said, well, if you want everything to stay the same, some things are going to have to change. <laughs> That's such a true thing in, in a lot of different avenues of of life and cities and, and all of that. I do think you, you know, I think you, you, if you really want to get the temper of uh, how people perceive their city, you got to, as you said, you know, you got to go out and listen to people uh, and, you know, just ask them open-ended questions. Be really super uh, good listeners of, to, to the way people think and talk about their own community. Right. And capture, if you can, some of the nuances. I to a guy um, who was one of the founders of GSD&M down in Austin, and they've been hired by one of the uh, big box stores for branding and uh, slogan writing uh, project. They ended up getting, uh, you know, they couldn't get anywhere. They were stumped because all the, all the corporate types and the CEO and everybody, they, it's like their brains were way too filled with corporate jargon. So they started to interview the uh, cashiers, uh, and they would, you know, they asked the cashiers like open-ended questions, like, "What do you think your job is?" You know, the old Harvard Business School, "What business are you really in?" Question. You know, what? How do you think about what you're doing here? You know? Right. And one of the cashiers gave him a one-liner that became the, "Oh, I I know what I'm doing here. I'm helping people helping people have homes." You know, make I'm giving people a way to create a home, mm-hmm. and that turned into the oh, that's exactly right. Thank you very much. Right. So yeah. you know, out of people who don't overthink it or try to write slogans or you know, the more natural and organic it is, the better it feels and the more authentic it feels. I yeah, I, th- I think that's such a great example that you know we don't need to overcomplicate it and and that's why when we approach these projects it all starts with engagement which really just means listening um listening to those individuals and residents and stakeholders and just asking them open-ended questions like you just mentioned where we're looking for those common threads i think absolutely that's the best way to you know we're talking about contrast and conflict and how do you find those common grounds and create something out of contrast and i think i think you hit the nail on the head that that's it it's it's through the engagement process and it's through listening that you arrive at that common thread and you arrive at that solution and well it but it also calls for clarity so if you were to say i was asking i was asking we have a young uh, summer intern here who's doing some data analytics for us. And I'm supposed to give the State of the City uh, presentation on Wednesday, so I went there and I said, using your data analytic mind, how would you define uh, victory uh, if you're describing the state of the city? What does it mean to have a, you know, what do you think qualifies as a way of 
calibrating the state of a city. Is it the unemployment uh, rate? Is it the uh, um, uh, childhood well-being statistics? Or is there some overarching... If you said to people in Santa Fe, what's your definition of victory for living in Santa Fe, what would they say? I don't know. I, I don't have a single answer. Right. But I think we tend, we, as you said, that, that traditionally we silo it into, well, how's the how's Parks and Rec doing and what's going on with uh, uh, wastewater treatment division as opposed to uh, what is what are we really trying to achieve? Jane Jacobs in Death and Life of Great American Cities says that the purpose of the city is to provide more choice for more people. Yep. So that's an, you know that's her sort of philosophical meta level answer is that cities work when they provide more choices for more people. Uh, that's a generality. How would that how would Santa Fe stack up in terms of mm-hmm. providing more kind of more choices of jobs, housing, um, education, uh, whatever, you know, compared to how it was ten years ago? Right. Are we doing better or worse? Right. Yeah, and I love I, you know, I think that totally makes sense, and I personally love that you're quoting Jane Jacobs on that because our agency actually is founded on the one of her quotes and it's the you know cities can provide something for everybody only when they're created by everybody and so we take that into all our processes and and take that to mean engagement public engagement in all of our projects and making sure that to your point of clarity you know making sure we're talking to all of the different people and understanding what does that mean for them Um, so we always lead with engagement on all of the the branding projects because you know it can't be just what what we think it should be what what the outcome we think it should be it needs to be all of those um well i appreciate your time uh super helpful look forward to chatting with you and, and meeting with you next time in person hopefully next time we're we're over there so all righty thanks a lot Take care. have a great weekend bye yep bye thanks for listening to eyes on the street Civic Brand Podcast. If you're interested in learning more, check out civicbrand.com.